0: we We are desperate for your you
1: as we kind of get underway tonight, I want to take just a moment of, uh, I guess you might call it personal privilege, if that's okay. And uh, what I'd like to do, first of all, is to uh, very overtly and publicly thank Brother Brian for uh, following through on his impulse to invite me to come here. And uh, I, uh, whenever he asked me to do that, whenever he mentioned that to me, uh, I sent him a message back and I said, when you mentioned that, my spirit quickened inside of me. And it did because it was something that immediately I knew that, that I wanted to do if that's what the Lord wanted. And, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to have been home this week and to have shared with friends of the years this week it's meant a great deal to me. It's been a wonderful time of, of uh, a change of scenery, and uh, just to pull apart and to be a part. I, I can tell you that uh, whenever I hit the Grayson County line tonight, if it, it'll probably be late, but maybe before you shut your eyes, you'll, you'll just uh, say a little word of prayer for me, because the one thing that I left there was a wife who wanted to come as much as I did. And so she may have been a little mad at me over the last few days, because I'm here and she's not. Every time I've brought my wife down to this area, she loves it, she really does, and she she said, whenever I told her the date, she said, the only thing about that is I can't go, and she really would have wanted to be here with you all this week. Just a little bit about that, I am married to Kim, we've been married in 10 days, it'll be 28 years, and God has gifted me with a beautiful and precious lady. Uh, she uh, she is the church pianist at our church, and it uh, gives me a great uh, sense of gratitude for these ladies that play here because I know the effort that goes into that and the the talent and the skill that it takes and the dedication and so uh, you you should be very thankful for those who help lead in worship in that way here in this church because it is a it is a wonderful contribution that they make to you and and I know that you're grateful for them they're very very talented and very good I can tell you that and not all churches have that benefit but anyway that's uh, I'm married to Kim and I have two sons I uh, have two sons. One is Michael, and he's not a junior. My wife was an only child, so we chose to give his as his middle name, the name of my wife's father. So he's Michael Thomas, where I'm Michael Lynn. Michael is complected like his mother. My wife is blonde, and for those of you ladies who, who would appreciate this, I'm just going to tell you, she was at the beauty parlor one time, and uh, I don't guess they had the salon, I think that's what they call them now, right? The salon. And so she was, uh, she was getting her hair cut, and this lady across the way was getting hers colored. And the lady across the way said, I want mine to be the color of hers. And the lady looked across at her and said, sweetheart, you can't get that out of a bottle. And my wife is very proud of the fact that she is a true blonde, and, and that goes in so many different directions. I couldn't even begin to tell you what all that true blonde covers, but she is, and she's a wonderful lady. And my oldest son is complected sort of like her. Some of you will remember I have a sister younger than me named Sharon who was a redhead. My oldest son's a redhead. My mother was a redhead. And yet he's fair complected like her. And then my youngest son is 22 and he's kind of darker complected like me a little bit. Darker hair, darker skin. But the one who's complected like his mother is wired up like me. And the one who's complected like me is wired up like his mother. And so it's really kind of, we all are confused about who's who in our household all the time. We have a wonderful life. Uh, my boys are both about 6'2", about 180, 185 pounds, good-looking guys, sharp guys, and uh, living for the Lord, following Him as best they can, and, and not perfect by any stretch, but, but they're, they're trying to do it right, and I'm very proud of them. And I wish they could have all been here this week so you could have gotten to know them some. But it's been good to be with you. It really has. And, and uh, God has enriched my life very much being able to come here and to spend this time with you, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything that I know of, and so thank you for letting me come. Thank you for letting me preach, and I told Brian today, I said, uh, I felt a, just a phenomenal freedom to preach here, and you don't always get that. That's not always the case. It's not always true, and so here, it's true, and I'm grateful for it, and I'm very thankful for that, and I also want to say one more word, and, and this is, then I'll, we'll get into what we're here to do. Uh, I'm thankful for your pastor, whenever we came through here on March the 18th and we sat in the church service, uh, we, whenever we got in the car, I said to my wife, I said I'm very thankful to sit in a church service where the pastor opened the word of God and preached expositorily through passages of scripture and so you be thankful for that because that's not what they're getting everywhere, okay, and so be thankful that he opens the word, that he, that he exposes the word, that he teaches the word and that he's got a heart for you because he does. And he's uh, let that slip out a few times this week in just conversation that we've had. And so you'd be grateful for your pastor. I'm thankful to have a friend in him. So it's been, it's been a good week in a lot of different ways. And I'm glad to be here with you. Well, we've talked about a lot of things. I told you when we started this week that, that I believe that my calling is really to kind of point people to living with a, a sense of higher purpose, trying to look above eye level in terms of spiritual perspective, and understand that by no means is this life all there is. That there is much more than what we have here that we look forward to. But at the same time, we tend to get very earthbound. We tend to be drawn very much by what we see around us and and what attracts us and what allures us and what captures us and what holds us. And sometimes those things are are things that they're nice things, good things, and sometimes they're things that are just tough things. And, and so I, I told you that my, my goal is to try to help us look upward. I also said I don't want to beat you up, but I want to build you up. And that's kind of been the, the the focus of my ministry through the years of time, is to try to help build people up in the Lord and help them understand who God is and what God really has for us, that God is not angry with us. God's not mad at us. He doesn't hate us. He loves us with an everlasting love, and He wants to be involved and engaged and invested in our lives. And and so I I told you that I wanted to do all of that. And and I hope that's happened in some degree here this week. Truthfully, and and I've I've tried to be very frank and honest with you, I also told you that the things that I would share with you would not be things that are just academic, things that I've read about, but that, that, that what I would hopefully share with you would be things where my study of the Word of God and my life of experiences have intersected and melded together. Because I think that the Word of God is a living Word, and I think it speaks to life. And I think it speaks to where we live and how we live. So with that being said, I want to say to us tonight that I'm very aware that sometimes life just gets tough. Sometimes life's hard. I've lived in some very hard circumstances, and I know that some of you have too. You can't get very far down the road without running into something that's just so big and so overwhelming and so debilitating that you just want to say I want to throw up my hands and quit. I want to give up. Uh, I heard about a football coach who was trying to explain to the players on his team what he wanted in a football player. And So he begins to show them this film and there's this guy that runs out on the field and this other guy runs and they have this collision and whenever they hit, this guy gets hit he falls down and he just lays there. And so the coach asks the players, he says That We want that guy on our team and they said no coach, that's not the one we want and so this next guy runs out and the other guy comes and hits him and knocks him down and he gets back up, the player knocks him down again and he stays there, he says is this the guy that we want on our team? He says no coach, that's not the one we want on our team so this other guy runs out on the film and this guy hits him and knocks him down, he gets up, he hits him, he knocks him down again and he gets up, he hits him, he knocks him down again and every time he hits him he gets back up so the coach says, is this the guy we want on our team? All the team says, yeah, that's the one we want. The coach says, no, that's not the one we want. We want the one that's knocking them all down. (laughs) Well, that is the one we want, but sometimes we're the ones that seem to be getting knocked around in life, right? That happens to us. We find ourselves sometimes feeling like a hockey puck, being beat up by everybody and everything around us. Sometimes it just gets rough. And, and so whenever that happens, we we end up being faced with someone who has lied, the Scripture says, from the very beginning. And he begins to try to convince us that this God that we say we believe in, that this God that we say that we trust, really doesn't care about us. If he did, why would he let this stuff happen? If he really loves us, why would these things come into your life? And so, and so we we have these... this this constant barrage of lies from the enemy whenever whenever we get down in our lives and and he begins to try to convince us that God doesn't care. And so we're faced with the question, is our God the real deal? Is is our God the real deal? Is He he really everything that we've heard that He is, everything that we've been taught that He is, everything that we want to believe that He is, or, or does He care? Does God really care? If so, why do these things happen in my life? And I've got to tell you that, uh, again, part of of my story brings me to the place that I am tonight. And and I'm going to take you back 35 years. And I'm going to take you back to an incident that happened right here in this church. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 here in just a moment if you want to go ahead and turn there. But I want to tell you that whenever you find yourself at a place where the struggles of life are so overwhelming and so demanding, whenever your family doesn't seem to be getting a fair shake in life, whenever the things that you know about and trust in and believe in don't seem to be be helping you and strengthening you and holding you, what in the world is it that gets you through? How, how How are we sustained in those moments? I don't really have a favorite Bible verse. I like a lot of them. I like all, most all of them. There are some that, that really help me more than others, but I don't have one that I can say is my absolute favorite. My dear father, on the other hand, had a verse that he would often quote and say that this was his favorite verse. That verse is found in the chapter that I just directed you to, and I'm going to read that verse And then we're going to pray together and we're going to try to open this verse up with some of the verses that are around it. So keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8. Look with me at verse 28 and listen to what this verse says because in light of all of the difficulties and struggles and challenges that we face, sometimes this verse presents a quandary to us. Look at what it says. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray together. Father, I want to ask you this evening to help us as we try to explore the way that you are in the world that we walk through. Father, we wish and and we want this life to be all roses and sunshine, all joy and glory, but we know that sometimes the clouds move in and they seem to stay a lot longer than we think they ought to. And during those times, we're faced with our own struggle of soul. Where are you, Lord? Are you here? Are you helping me? I need you, but I don't sense you. So help us to be honest about those things tonight and to come to terms with who you are and how you are in this world that we walk through and why things are the way they are as we turn to you. For your help, illuminate your spirit and your your scriptures by your spirit. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. I mentioned my father. Romans 8 28 was his favorite verse. It says, And we know that all things work together for good. That's that's a broad statement if you think about it. We know that all things work together for good. That, that That is about as long of a statement as you can make. It goes on to say, It it narrows it a little bit. It says, uh, to those who love God, we know that all things work together for good. So there is that qualifier. We we do understand that he's saying, not all things work together for good for everybody. But if you love God, then he says, we know that all things work together for good. Then he says, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, as I mentioned, that was my father's favorite Bible verse. I heard him quote it uh, many, many times in my growing up years. And it's ironic because the truth of that verse was what he might have said got him through whenever things were hard to understand or whenever things were difficult or struggles happened. And he had his share. But I want you to understand something that that it's ironic that this was his favorite verse because the last four and a half years of his life were a story in sad experiences. Many of you remember that story. You know that my father was coming into town one day and had a wreck right out here on Lover's Lookout. And the result of that was so tragic that ultimately he ended up having a a stroke and a heart attack from some things that happened to his body during that wreck and spent the last four and a half years of his life in a wheelchair, unable to walk or talk or do much of anything. And he was 46 years old when that happened, had a nine-year-old daughter at home and a a a 15, 16-year-old daughter at home, two sons that were supposed to be grown. I'm not sure we were acting like it. We were age appropriate to be grown and so this was his life and this was his life verse and so so here we are looking at his life and 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 then when it comes time to have his funeral service we had his funeral service right here in this church right here and i remember several preachers there's brother James Best and a guy a guy named brother Delbert Lamb and another guy that was my dad's a protege back when he was very young who came in from Arizona and they stood up here and, and his best friend the guy from Arizona used this verse to talk about my dad and and to, and to speak about him at his funeral service and and here I was I was I was two years into my undergraduate at East Texas Baptist College and I want to tell you that whenever that service was over I didn't I didn't feel nearly as encouraged as I felt confused and I'm just being honest with you I had, I had struggled out of a life of, of not really giving much of, a, of attention at all to God to, to accepting the fact that God might be calling me into ministry and trying to deal with that and cope with that. And then I come to this place where my dad has lifted, lived the last four of his, years of his life in such a sad condition and a sad state. And then here's somebody who's standing up here saying, we know that God works all things together for good. And I'm like, You're telling me this. And so the way they set the service up was that at the end of it, instead of having the casket down here, they put it, pulled it, rolled it to the back. As we went out, it was the last time I would see the deceased body of my father. And I stood by his casket, and I looked at his twisted body, his body that had been mangled and destroyed by physical problems. And he was dressed in a beautiful blue suit, his favorite color, the color of his eyes. His eyes were just as blue as the sea. And deep down, I've got to confess to you that I wondered something. Not out loud, of course, because you're not supposed to do that. Perhaps not even admittedly to myself, but still I wondered, is a verse like Romans 8:28 something that really matters at a time like this? Or is it more like a beautiful suit of clothes that we put on to hide the disfigurement of life that is twisted by circumstances and situations that we can't understand and that we can't get our minds around? Is it something that we just use to kind of cover up the the lives that are decimated by experiences that are too horrific to even think about? And I thought, "Is is this just a saying? Does it really matter? And, and then my other thought was, or is it maybe more like a spine of steel that runs through our spirit, man, that keeps us upright and strong, even in the fiercest winds of adversity? Is it, is it an impregnable shield that deflects the onslaught of potentially disabling realities that would sideline us by making us believe that our faith is in vain if it can't keep us from such harshness? And I want to tell you, from that moment forward, that has sent me on a lifelong journey of analysis in which I've examined the kind of promises like this one in order to learn if it's something that really can help get us through. And I've come to know, both by experience and by the testimony of God to me in my own heart, that this is truth. And let me just backtrack a little bit. We can't get to this truth without understanding a few things. In this, this chapter called Romans chapter 8, there are so many themes. This is something that if I was to start at verse 1 and go all the way to verse 39, we'd be here till tomorrow, and I promise you that's the truth because there are so many things in here that are so rich and so true. But he begins by saying something like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Basically what he's saying is that in Jesus we've been made free from what sin can do to us. We've been set free from the power of sin in our lives. We've been saved. We've been released from the condemnation, the condemning impact of sin upon us. Well, then he begins to tell us that as we walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh, and he's basically setting those two things over against each other. He's saying you're either walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh. And if you're walking in the power of God's Spirit, then this freedom that God has purchased for you by His Son, the Lord Jesus is something that that sets you free all the way. And so you begin to walk in the fullness of that, and God fills you with the truthfulness of who He is, with the realization of His strength and His power and His grace. And And so He talks to us about what God has done to us in the inner man, that He's made us free by saving us from our sin. And then He tells us that He's done that by His Son, Jesus, not by the law, not by rules and regulations, not by religion, but by His Son, Jesus. But then he comes back, and he says, you need to understand, however, that that salvation is is real and it's powerful, but you still live in a place that is under the influence of the evil one. And as you walk through this world that's under the influence of the evil one, you can expect that suffering is going to join you on this journey as you make your way along. It's going to be a reality for you. It's gonna be something that's gonna accompany you as you walk this path. You can't avoid it, you can't get out from under it. It's a true thing. And so he comes then after he tells us all of that in verse 18 to make a statement about that suffering and look at what he says. He says, I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's given us all these this understanding of what God has done to bring us to a place called justification or righteousness in the sight of God. And and so he says, you need to understand that as far as eternity is concerned, you're safe, you're secure, you're sealed. And, And as you walk in the Spirit, then you begin to have the opportunity to have a perspective about where you are while you're here and what's going on. And so he says these words, that there are sufferings. He says, I consider that there are sufferings. That is reality. Anybody here want to argue that point? Does anybody here not realize and understand that in this life, we're going to face situations and circumstances that are beyond our ability to cope with, beyond our ability to comprehend or understand? It's just the way it is. It's, it's, It's because we live in a broken world. But he says something about that. He says that there are limitations on this suffering. He says the sufferings are only going to happen in this present time Okay, Are you with me? So there's the age in which we live, and there's the age yet to come. But he's saying that you can expect and anticipate that as long as this present time is ongoing, that in this world there will be suffering. There will be struggles. There will be struggles inside of you. There will be struggles beyond you. And the fact is that that they are limited in duration, because they're only going to be in this present time, They're limited in location. They're only going to be in this material universe. They're only going to be sufferings as long as we're absent the presence of God. So, he's telling us that this suffering is real. Now, let's just take a little journey into an attempt to understand what causes suffering. Okay? You ready for this? All right. Suffering can occur for a number of reasons. Whenever Paul is writing this book, he's writing it to believers who very likely will suffer because of their Christian commitment. He's saying that suffering can occur because of Christian commitment. We're living in a world right now where the heat seems to be getting turned up more and more on those who identify themselves as believers. The world is less and less sympathetic, less and less accepting of what we as the people of God would embrace and believe. And so we can expect sometimes suffering to occur. Now, in our world, the Western world that we live in, we don't understand the fullness of what that means. But but you take a trip over into the Middle East and say you're a Christian, you'll begin to see that suffering is a reality sometimes because you're a Christian. In our world, it's more of, of a subtle rejection. But in that world, it may very well lead to martyrdom for the cause of Christ. So suffering can occur because of Christian commitment. Sometimes suffering can occur because of sinful conduct. Sometimes people do things that bring them to a place where suffering is a natural result of the choices that they've made. And people didn't want to own this but back in the day whenever all kinds of things started happening because of, of the misconduct of people that threatened the physical life of people, nobody wanted to say that it was because of their choices. They, they want to say, well, it's just a, a natural occurrence that happens in the world. But sometimes people make choices that lead them into a place called suffering. Sometimes our own sin can put us in a dangerous situation. Uh, sometimes somebody can, can, can do something that places them in a position where the end result of the choices that they made is even their own death. Sometimes the sins of others can cause us pain. Sometimes somebody else's sinfulness can cause pain to me or you. Uh, my uncle who's been here the last couple of nights, uh, his youngest daughter was married to a man and this man was a, he was a youth minister at a church up in Lufkin. And so they, all, they went to church up there all the time from Zavala and on this particular night the, the mom and the kids came on home because they needed to come home and get the kids in bed for school. The dad stayed up there to work with the students until that time was over, and then he started making his way home. And on the way home, this, this young man, 33 years old, with a, a, an 8-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old son, was hit head-on by a drunk driver, and it killed him. It took his life. Not a thing happened to the other guy. It didn't hurt him a bit. This was the, the, the choices of somebody else that caused suffering in the life of another individual. Sometimes suffering comes because of the choices that other people make. Sometimes suffering comes because of what we might call the cosmic conditions. See, Scripture describes this world as fallen. Scripture describes this world as very broken, as corrupt. And if you read in these verses, it says that the whole of creation groans right now. And and, and the the truth is that Scripture says that this place is under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. And so the, the enemy is working all the time in this universe to try to create havoc and chaos and confusion and destruction and damage and death. He's busy and he's not going to stop. He's not going to slow down. And so the the causes of suffering could be any number of things. The fact is that he says in this verse, however, that the sufferings that exist in this present time, and here's where we need to sort of get our perspective shifted upward. He says they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So we... We have this, this anticipation of a future glory that is set before us. And, and sometimes we lose sight of that because we're in this thick fog of the, of the, the damage and the destruction and the difficulty of suffering that's, right, that's settled right in upon the top of our lives. And so sometimes this glory that we're talking about may seem only like a glimmer, faint, not very intense, compared to the suffering. But he says whenever you really begin to compare the suffering that we face now. By the way, it's been really interesting to catch up with some of my schoolmates. And so far, I think every one of us have agreed on one thing more than anything else. We can't believe how long it's been and how quickly that that time has gone since we were where we were. And let me tell you what that means to me. That means that life is but a glimmer. It's just a moment, it's just a twinkle, it's just a blink, it's just a blip on the radar screen of eternity. And so what he's saying to us here is this. You need to understand that, that yes, there are sufferings in this present time, but this present time is just a drop in the bucket compared to the, the, the eternal weight of glory that God is working for us and in us and through us as we move toward that eternity that he's prepared for us and that he's preparing us for. So so he says, yes, there's suffering. But there's also a day that's coming whenever all that suffering is going to be over, whenever all that suffering is going to be released and relieved. And so you say, well, sounds good. How do you know that? Well, I know that. I know that because of what God has done, because every promise that God has ever made, he's kept, because everything that God has prophesied, and predicted about his son Jesus has come true. Now, let's let's just think about this. Remember the verse, we know that all things work together for good. Basically, what we're saying is this, that even when I can't understand it, even when I can't see the end from the beginning, even when I can't, can't get my mind around how God is at work here, I still know that God's at work. What I'm saying is this, I'm saying that God is trustworthy, that I can trust him, regardless of whether I see everything or not I can trust my God how can I know that I can trust my God well he tells me this verse 31 of this same chapter what shall we say then if God is for us who can be against us now the idea here is not really that this is a question but an assertion he's basically saying since God is for us what can come against us What can defeat us? What can overcome us? What can win the day? But then look at what he says. How do we know that God is for us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? How do we know that God is for us? Because of what God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What has God done in His Son? Well, Scripture says He delivered Him up for us all. Now, lest we not get the full impact of what that says, I want you to walk with me through what that means. What does it mean that God delivered up His Son? Well, we know that it means that Jesus came to the earth, that He was the incarnation of God, that He was deity, God in the flesh. We know that He walked this planet for some 33 years, lived a perfect, sinless life. We know that He was crucified on a cross, We know that he was buried in a tomb. We know that he was raised from the dead. We know that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's in glory on high, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. We know that because Scripture tells us so. But what does it really mean that God delivered him up for us? What is the for us in there? I'm glad you asked. Here's where we go now. I want to take you back to the night of or the night before the crucifixion, the night of the trials of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember reading about that. And Scripture says that Jesus went there to pray. And as Jesus prayed, the Scripture says that Jesus began to seek the Father, and He began to say to God the Father, Father, if there's any way possible, if there's any other way, please, please let this cup pass from Me. If there's anything that can be done differently than the way that it has to be done, please do it differently, is what He was saying. What did He mean by that? What did He mean whenever He said, Let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? Well, we might say that it would be the death of Jesus because we know that it was going to be an agonizing death. But was that the most horrific part of what Jesus experienced? No, it was not. It was horrible. Don't misunderstand me. But it wasn't the worst part. The worst part of the the cup that Jesus had to drink was this. Because what we need to really ask is this question. The cup that he had to drink... What was in it that made it so bitter? What was in it that made it so hard? What did Jesus take into himself that was so difficult for him to take into himself? Any of you you ever take medicine you hated? I'll tell you what, what what Jesus had to take that day was the worst thing and the vilest thing that you can possibly imagine. Because what was in the cup that Jesus had to drink, what, what would be collected in that cup would be all of the sins of all of humanity and all of time. Think about this. Our sins would be collected in that cup. All of your pride, all of your greed, all of your anger, all of your lust, everything that you've ever had that was a vile thought or a wicked deed would be in that cup that Jesus would have had to drink. See, Scripture says about him that he would become sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of everything in this church that constitutes sin would be in the cup that Jesus had to drink. Now, if you were to take a trip out of this church house and and maybe move down the road to the prison house, let's go there for a few minutes. Pass the cup through those cells. Take there every criminal act, every perversion, every act of 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 misdeed that you can think, every assault, every murder, every drug addiction, every drug violation, everything that's ever happened that is vile and wicked and horrible and, and satanic, and put it in that cup. Now move up and down the corridors of time, and consider that every act of tyranny, every act of corruption, every act of of atrocity, every deed that's ever been committed, every thought that's ever been Thought, every idea that's ever come up that is wicked and vile was right there in that cup. No wonder Jesus prayed in agony in that garden because He knew that His soul, as Scripture tells us, was about to be baptized in hell. Physical suffering was bad. The, the, the word is excruciating. That's a word that literally means out of the cross or out of the crucifixion. It's excruciating. It's a pain that comes out of the cross. It was horrific and it was terrible. But I want to tell you that was not the worst part of the journey that Jesus took to that cross outside of, of Jerusalem on Golgotha's Hill. The worst part was when He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He paid redemption's price there. Now let me tell you, whenever you read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, that it says God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. That's what he's talking about. That he took our sin in his own body on the tree. So he was lifted up there on that cross. But I want to tell you something. Even though his body died there, the wonder of it all is that in three days he was lifted up again. He was lifted up in resurrection power. and Upon the completion of His substitutionary death for the sins of all of mankind, of all of time, He was raised up out of that grave. And that's the the verdict and the testimony of God that His death paid the penalty and paid the price for every sin I would ever commit. And I can tell you, that's a long, long list. And every sin that you would ever commit, add that to the list. And every sin that you would commit, and that you would commit, and that you would commit, and everybody, all the billions of people that have lived on this planet... All that sin was there in that cup when Jesus died on the cross. So, how do I know that I can trust that God is at work, working all things together for good? How can I not believe that? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. If He would do that, I can trust that He's at work in every circumstance, in every situation, to pour His his wisdom and his strength and to accomplish his purposes however he sees fit. Even though I may not see it and I may not understand it. So let me tell you. Y'all don't mind if I finish this, do you? Okay. Here's where we go next. Whenever we find ourselves in these circumstances and we make a beeline to the cross and there we remember what God did in delivering up his son, we realize that that is the the most extreme expression of love that has ever been given to anybody in in all of time or all of eternity. God, Scripture says, so loved us that He gave His Son. Now, here's the deal. I want you to see this. Look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now listen to this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. He gives to us this list, this litany of all kinds of different situations and circumstances. And then he comes back, and in verse 7, he says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then look at what he says. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to me. Hear me now. Because what he's saying to us is this. What allows us to live in absolute trust and belief that God is working all things together for good in our lives As we love Him and as we follow the calling that is His purpose for our existence, the way that we can know that is because of the enormity of God's love demonstrated before us through the death of His Son on the cross by taking all of our sin in Himself and, and being our substitute there and dying in our place, dying for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I want to tell you something. I can, I can get on board with that kind of a God. I can follow somebody that will do something like that for me. How do I know that God's taking care of me? How do I know God's watching over me? Because he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for me. And how shall he then not freely give me all things that I need? So these verses in Romans and believe me, we have not had near enough time and opportunity to do them justice, but they help us to see that the verse that I started with, it's not just a a nice covering that we put over the broken circumstances of our lives to to make it look better or make us feel better. It really is that spine of steel that, that helps us to walk straight, straight into the eye of the storm, straight into the teeth of, of of the things that come against us that are that are trying to to cause us to disbelieve and distrust our God and His love for us whenever things are so dark and so desperate and so damaging to us that we just want to run run away somewhere and hide. Listen, if you think you're the first one that's ever faced something that was bigger than you are, and wanted to get away from it, go back to Psalm 55. And and you, and you read what David wrote in Psalm 55, and this is what he says. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. Then I would just fly away. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you just wanted to just get away, be away? We all have. But you know what? Sometimes we just can't get away. But what we can do is we can get to, we can get near the God who sustains us. See, in this life, I want to say to you, I want to say to everybody in this room, and I want you to hear me say it plainly and Clearly. If you haven't found yourself at a time, you will find yourself at a time sometime when you need a strength that's stronger than yourself. You're going to find yourself whenever you need someone to carry you. You may have been carrying everybody and everything and everyone, but you're going to find yourself at a time whenever you need someone to come and bear you up and carry you. And I want to tell you something. God's Word tells us that He is that someone and that He will carry you. He will be there for you. He will strengthen you. And He will be at work in everything that's going on in your life as you trust Him and follow Him. I'll tell you this, and I want you to hear me say this in the right way, because I never want you to misunderstand what I'm about to tell you. The things that happened in my father's life, they were awful things. I've never been that up close and personal to somebody that suffered that much for that long in so many ways. And, it, and it, it tore my heart out because my dad was he was, my, he was he was the man that I always thought was invincible. And here he was, weak as a kitten, and he couldn't do anything for himself. And, 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 I, and I thought, I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't even stand to be around that much. I would try, I'd do what I could, but then I'd have to get away for a while. And, and it tore my heart out, it tore me up. And, and so I, I want you to understand what I'm about to say. His favorite verse that I quoted to you and read to you, that caused me to ponder and question and wonder what was going on. It became true in the sense that I can promise you that what happened to my father was very instrumental in causing me to stop and say, God, where are you? Are you there? Are you the real deal? Can you show me that? Can you verify that to me? And i would never asked that question before. But when I began to ask it, God began to show up in, in places and in ways in my life that I didn't ever see coming. I promise you. you, you it was it was the strangest thing. Uh, I told you the other day that I was driving down this road one day and, and I made that, that claim to God and I said, God, if, if, if you're there, if you're really there and if you're really here me and you show me what you want me to do in my life, I said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I promise you I will. And, and I was talking to Chester a little bit earlier today, and we were, t- we were rehearsing some of our, our history. And I told him, I said, from, from August the 2nd in 1980 until January the 8th in 1981, there were six or seven times that I came this close to being killed. And I'm telling you, I, it, w- it wasn't that I thought God was trying to kill me, I didn't think that at all, but I got scared of living. Because I thought I thought anything can happen at any time. And it was in the middle of all that that I said that to God. And, and I went on a, on a Thursday, I was at work down here at Allison Chevrolet and I took off on a Thursday because my sister had just started class, she had started school up at East Texas Baptist College and never been away from home before. And so I told my mom, I said, I'm going to go up there and check on her see what's, what's up with her, make sure she's okay. So I rode up there and my mom said, hey, when you're up there, and I'm telling you, I was 23 years old, I had no, no intention of doing what she asked me to do. She said, why don't you just see what it would take for you to go to school up there? I said, I don't want to go to school up there. She said, well, just do it for me, please. And so I went up there and, and uh, I went to the office and I, and I knew the semester had already started. This was January school, class had started. And so I began to ask him and I said, what, what, I, what would I need to do to go to school here? Because I'm thinking of the best September whenever school starts again. And so they said, fill out these papers, do this, do that. So I did all that. And then at the end of that, this guy says to me, he says, okay, if you'll go down to Fagan Hall and give them $5 deposit for a room key, you can get a room in the dorm you can start class in the morning. I said, you don't understand, I didn't come up here to go to school. I came up here to see my sister, and because my mom asked me to, to see what it would take for me to go to school. And they said, well, what we've just done is all it's going to take for you to go. If you want to go, go give them $5, and you can be in a room tonight, and you can go to class in the morning. And they said, we've got go to we go to lunch, and so whenever, whenever we get back from lunch, you think about it, and if that's what you want to do, you come on back, and we'll get you set up. I walked out in the hall, and you know what the first thing came to my mind was? God, if you're really there, and there's something that you want to do with my life, if you'll show me what that is, if if you'll give me an indication, then whatever it is, I'll do it. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And I'm thinking, God, I didn't mean that. But I'm going to tell you, after the things that have been going on in my life the last five and a half months, I was scared not to do it. I promise you, I was. So I called my mother. I said, here's what's happened. She said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't think it matters what I want to do. I think it matters what I know I need to do. And so it's a true story. You know, we didn't have Samsonite luggage back in the day. I, she said, well, she said, are you going to stay? I said, I can't stay. I don't have anything to stay. And I was working full-time job. I had bills. I had everything just like everybody else. And so I drove back. I, got, I left there in time to go get all that done and got back here before Robert Allison left the, the Allison Chevrolet house. And I walked into his office and I said, Robert, I'm quitting. He said, why? I said, I'm starting school in the morning. He said, what? I said, I'm starting school in the morning. He said, where? I said, Marshall, Texas. I went back to my house and I told my mom, I said, whatever I got, just put it in a box or something. Well, she did. She had a box. She and I had had an alarm clock and a few clothes and a pair of boots or something. She had it all in a box and, and, and she had it all stacked in there neatly. And so I went to my car and I got back in and I drove back to Marshall 8 o'clock the next morning I was sitting in a class. And I'm like, what am I doing here? But here's the deal. Here's my mother. She was one of the sneakiest people you've ever known. When I got up there, I pulled out my clothes and my alarm clock. You know what she had done? She had taken my dad's Bible and put it under all that stuff. And and then then she, she put... A, a concordance in there with it, and a Matthew Henry's commentary. It's what my dad used to prepare his sermons. And I thought, what's all that for? And so I, as as I started staying up there, I, I felt like I was just on. I felt like Moses on the backside of the desert. And I had a, a spiral notebook, and, and night after night, I would get that notebook, and I would just begin to write out prayers to God, because I didn't I didn't have a clue how to pray. I didn't know what to say to Him. I didn't know what he was going to say to me. And, and, and lo and behold, I began to make a few friends. And one night, and I was already struggling with this in my heart, I, I, I had this idea about preaching, but I knew I didn't want to. And, and I had some friends, and we went out. To, it was a cold Thursday night, and we went out to a church in Hallsville, Texas, and we were going to shoot some basketball, and I had an outside court. And so we went outside and shot, we were shooting some basketball. It's freezing cold. So we said, well, let's just go inside. So we went inside, and one guy says, i tell you what, let's have church. He says, I'll lead the singing, and Mike, you do the preaching. And boys like God hit me upside the head with a brick. You know what I did? I went right back out into that cold, and I sat down on the step of a portable building, and I said, God, I can't imagine that's what you want to do with my life. But if it is, if you'll give me an opportunity, I'll never turn down an opportunity to preach for you. About two Wednesday nights later, the preacher of that church comes to me and says, you know what, I'm going to be out next Wednesday, and I want you to speak for me. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no. And I want to tell you something, the rest is history. Because from that point on, I never missed an opportunity and never didn't have an opportunity to preach. And I'm telling you, I didn't do that. I didn't want to do that. But God brought me there. And I see where Romans 8.28 becomes a true story in my life where God was working in things that I couldn't see and in ways that I couldn't see and in circumstances that I couldn't orchestrate to bring me to Himself. And you know what? I'm no different than you are. I'm not special in that God did that. He wants that for all of us. Maybe maybe not to be a preacher, but to be His in the fullest sense of the word. He wants that for us because that's what He created us to be. To trust Him and to fall into that love that He demonstrated by delivering up His own Son for us and letting Him drink the full cup of our vileness, our sinfulness. So that we could be redeemed and ride in His sight and live with Him forever. Well, I hope that that's already your story. I really do. But I know that probably for some of us, we may be somewhere along that continuum. We we may be the one that is is trying to find our way into what God has for us, and and we've never really come to the place where we've we've said yes to the voice of God for that very first time. Whenever He has called us to Himself, we We've seen tonight that God loves us so much that He delivered His own Son up for us. And tonight, we, we, want, we want that cup that He drank. We want that price that He paid to include us. And we know that we've never come to the place in our lives where we've trusted Jesus and surrendered our heart to Him and where we've been forgiven for our sins and been saved and, and our eternity sealed in Him. tonight, I beg you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. There, there's no other remedy for the brokenness of our lives or the brokenness of this world we walk through except Jesus. Come to Him. He waits for you. He loves you so much. Maybe you have, but there's been just a, a resistance to releasing your life completely to Him. And, and you, you've held back. You've maybe been a, been a little ashamed or maybe maybe you've been inundated by by a broken world and all the junk that is stacked on top of your life and... And you've been trying to find your way out. You've been trying to come back to that place where, where God is everything to you, but, but all this stuff has got you clogged up on the inside. Tonight, would you let the Holy Spirit of God just speak the truth of God to you and reminding you that God loves you and God's here for you and God wants to be that strength that's stronger than you are for you. And let Him help you. Let Him heal you. Let Him bring you to Himself tonight. Just a moment, we're going to pray together. And as, after we do that, we'll sing. And, and my prayer for us tonight is that every one of us will just be very intently aware and alert to whatever God might want to say to us. And, and once we hear his voice, once we hear him speak, I pray that we would be absolutely and immediately obedient to whatever he's asking us to do. And, and if there's a need in your heart to trust Jesus, would, would you have the courage tonight to come and take your pastor by the hand? Just say to him, listen, I I want Jesus. I need him. My load's heavier than I can carry. It's bigger than I am. When my life ends, I want to be sure that I'm sealed with him, that I'm present with him in eternity, and I'm not sure about that. Your pastor will gladly help you understand how you can receive Jesus tonight and be sure of your eternity, be sure of your forever in him. As a believer, you might need to just come unburden yourself. You might need to just come and pray. You might need to come and, and just get before God at the altar or have somebody pray with you. Um, and many of us would be glad to do that. But just listen to the voice of God. Do whatever he's asking you to do. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take these, the, these words of, of my honesty and my story and how you've interjected yourself and allowed me to come face to face with you. And maybe tonight, these words will give somebody hope. It will give them a thought, an understanding, and awareness that you're here for them. Just like you were here for a, a 23-year-old guy a long time ago. that didn't know straight up in an open place. Couldn't find my way to you for anything. And yet you came to me. Father, help us to know that you are right here for us. That you came to us in the Lord Jesus, and that you love us so much that you did not spare your own Son. Father, draw us to yourself tonight. May your Spirit move in power just now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you stand?